2: and enjoy the show.
4: Thanks, fans, for joining us. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Simply Scary Podcast. I am your host, G.M. Danielson. From this point forward... We will be presenting to you every week a collection of our finest performances of some of today's most frightening and unsettling thriller stories. Each story will feature one talented performer and one independent author in raw, to-the-bone performances, the true essence of storytelling. I will be your guide through the annals of our disturbing library. Now it is time to begin.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs,
4: As nostalgic as many of us feel about our childhoods, memories can be a frustratingly unreliable thing. The most precious memories and important information of our formative years can be lost. Unexplainably, when we really need it for a conversation with an old friend, our memories fail us and leave us stammering for that oh-so-craved explanation. Sometimes, though... The gaps in our memories shield us from revelations that, if they had been retained, would haunt us to our graves. Today's stories are about unfortunate characters who attempt to unravel some of these puzzling childhood mysteries. It is time now for us to commence on our journey. While visiting his grandparents on the outskirts of Ashbury Park, Mississippi... Our protagonist that unfolds this tale makes friends with a local girl and her curiosity draws him into a mysteriously frightening situation involving a group of peculiar children just down the road. Chilling Tales legendary master storyteller Otis Jiry introduces us to author Sarah Piper's The Odd
2: Kids. One summer, when I was a boy, my parents sent me to stay with my grandparents for the break. Raised in the Pacific Northwest, a small town in eastern Mississippi might as well have been an entirely different country for all I was concerned. The instant we got out of the airport, I was struck with the oppressive humidity, and I became convinced right then and there that my parents downright despised me. Of course, The reality was much kinder than that. My grandparents were good folks, and thankfully I met a girl within a few days of arrival, and we became fast friends. Her name was Jessie, a local girl with long blonde hair and green eyes, the first pair I'd ever encountered. I was in love at first sight. Jessie was a year or two older than me, but that didn't matter much to us. Jessie was the reason I got up every morning, not in a romantic sense, of course, but a very literal one. Sure, my grandparents were very hospitable, but they were old and southern, about as far removed from my narrow world view as could be. They just had no idea how to entertain me, and I think Jessie was as much a relief to them as she was to me. Taking me off their hands during the days, and curtailing somewhat my boundless, youthful energy. The place where my grandparents lived was about a mile out from a place called Ashbury Wood, and it was a mile I walked daily. I would always meet Jessie on the path heading my way. On rare occasions, she would already be at my grandparents' house when I was leaving, and I never saw where she lived. It didn't matter much to me, though, because the woods were our real home. Ashbury Wood wasn't particularly dense, but boy did it seem to go on forever. Jesse showed me a few paths around the woods, unofficial trails to interesting sites like clearings, hollowed-up trees, or even just a place where a funny-looking bush was growing. We told each other stories of our hometowns, imagining what life would be like if one of us lived where the other did. Whenever we fantasized about having her come to live with me, she would get a strange tone in her voice, but I never thought much of it. While the woods were our home and playground, we still set limits for ourselves. If we went too long without seeing something Jessie didn't recognize, we immediately turned around until we were in familiar territory again. She also set boundaries, significant features we shouldn't go past for one reason or another. Decades later, and the only one I can remember, is the creek. The creek itself was nothing to be concerned about. It was just a shallow stream of water that may have come up to my waist, with sloped banks on either side that were either sheer but not insurmountable. The first time I discovered it, I immediately headed down into the water, just about ready to cross to the other side, when Jesse cried out from behind me, Stop! I whirled around on one foot as gracefully as a young boy can and looked up at her. She stood, staring across the creek and out into the woods on the other side. Her hands were balled into fists and kept straight at her sides, and I remember being worried that she might begin crying. I climbed back up the side of the creek, coming up beside her. What's wrong? I asked. We need to turn around. Jess's voice was barely above a whisper. She looked terrified, and slowly peeled her gaze away from the trees and onto me. We have to turn back. Reluctantly, I agreed, but only because I could see how upset the situation was making her. Like I said, the water itself wasn't that deep or rapid, and it wasn't even that far into the woods. On the walk back, I raised these points, but Jesse stayed quiet, leading me to a small clearing in the trees that we used as sort of a home base for our adventures. Sitting me down, Jessie stared into the grass for a long moment before she spoke. Two years ago, I had a friend named Emma. Her hands were balled up in her lap, shaking. We used to play in these woods, like you and me do. And one day, just like you and me, we found that crick. I laughed, not because of the content of the story, but because I'd never heard someone pronounce it crick before.' Her head snapped up to look at me in the eyes, and I felt quiet. Standing across from it was these kids who looked about our age only. They weren't right. That time there was only two. One of them, his head just hung to the side like this. Jessie let her head flop to the left, hanging limp. Another was really tiny, and his hands and head were even littler, like tinier than a baby's. Now. I'm not proud of this next part, but we weren't exactly sugar and spice to em, if you know what I mean. I shook my head that I did not. She sighed. We would call 'em names, tease them, you know, because they were weird. Emma would throw sticks sometimes, though she couldn't hit water if she fell out of a boat. The story paused as Jessie smiled to herself, remembering her friend fondly. Did they ever talk back, I asked, bringing her back to reality. No, she said, shaking her head. Just stood there looking at us and making these weird squeaking noises. Em and me, we started calling them odd kids. Because, you know, they were kids and they sure as shit were odd. I blushed at such intense language, but Jesse didn't notice. No matter what we did to them, they never came across the creek. Always just stood on the other side, staring and squeaking. It wasn't always the two, neither. There was different ones, four or five in all, I think. What happened to Emma? The direction the story was going was obvious, and I was eager to learn. Jessie stayed quiet for a long time, staring into the ground and absently picking at the grass beneath her. So at first we were afraid, right? The odd kids weren't normal and. We could scare each other silly, telling stories, how they eat people, and like to run around naked together. Just dumb stuff. But as time went on, we got less and less scared of them. We got to the point where we'd stand right on the other side of the creek and dare them to cross over, but they never would. And one day, we're sitting there, talking to ourselves, ignoring the weird-headed one like he's just another tree. And Emma said something about him being "'Too chicken to cross.' "'We both looked at him, and he just walked off. "'Turned around and went deeper into the woods "'till eventually we couldn't see him. "'And I teased him that he was daring here to follow him, "'that she was a chicken if she didn't go. "'I was listening with rapt attention at this point. "'To my young mind, this girl's tale of terror "'more closely resembled a great campfire story made even better by the fact that it allegedly took place only a brisk walk away from where I sat. Together, the two of us crossed the creek, because, like you said, it ain't that big, and we climbed up onto the other side and chased after him. We went maybe a quarter mile in before we started hearing that squeaking again, only up close it didn't sound like squeaking no more. It sounded like chittering. They surrounded us faster than either of us expected, coming out of the trees like ghosts. I was frozen in fear. I couldn't move a muscle, just staring at the odd kids and wondering what was going to happen. Then one of them, the limp-headed one, he grabbed Emma, and she screamed, and that just, it's like it woke me up. I tore out of there as fast as I could go, practically leapt out the creek in a single jump, and ran all the way home. My lungs were on fire by the time I stopped, and I was crying all over the place. People trying to get me to tell them what happened, but... Her voice trailed off, and I could see tears welling in her eyes. Did you? I asked. She shook her head, blinking away the tears. I felt guilty, she admitted. I felt guilty for leaving her, and I I just kept thinking that she'd come home. She'd be right behind me, and we'd cry about it and never go across that damn creek again. But she didn't. Jessie shook her head again. But she didn't, she repeated. She didn't ever come back. Nobody ever went looking for her, neither, because she was an orphan. I didn't say nothing, and so nobody even knew where to look. Staring out into the woods in the direction of the creek, Jessie's voice crackled. The odd kids got her. I don't know what they did with her. I'm... uh, I'm sorry. I tried to console her, unsure of what to say, but Jessie wasn't paying attention to me anymore. She stood up, brushed the dirt off her denim shorts, and started walking towards town. I got up and chased after her. Wait, I cried. Where are you going? Home. Home? But, But why? The concept seemed alien to me. It was the middle of the day. Who would want to stay indoors? I can't stay in these woods. Not today. She paused. You should go home, too. We'll meet up tomorrow morning. But, but nothing. She stopped and turned to face me. Go home. Jessie started to turn around again before something else occurred to her. And don't ever, ever go across the creek. You hear me? I nodded silently, and she reached out, grabbing my shoulders and giving me a firm shake. "'Say it!' she demanded. "'I uh, I promise. No going across the creek,' I said timidly. She stared into my eyes as if searching my soul for a way to ensure my sincerity. Whether she found it or not, she eventually released me and headed off, leaving me standing alone in the woods with nothing on my hands but free time and my own thoughts.' I looked back in the direction of the creek and the mysterious woods beyond. Were there really such a thing as odd kids? I knew monsters didn't exist in Oregon, but here in Mississippi it felt like anything could be true. Plus, Jesse had told the story with such conviction that it felt disloyal to be skeptical. I spent the rest of the day in the woods, wandering aimlessly. Part of me wanted to go back to the creek, but real or not, Jesse's story had scared the hell out of me. At one point, I got just close enough that I could make the creek out through the trees, and I peered as hard as I could at the bank on the other side. I wanted to make out a pair of eyes staring back at me or hear that chittering Jesse had talked about. Heck, at that point, I would have accepted a quick blur between the trees as concrete evidence. But despite my willingness to believe, nothing came forward to present itself. The opposite bank was devoid of life, and I didn't have the gall to investigate any closer. As the sky dimmed, I reluctantly began the long walk home, unaccompanied for the first time all summer. I considered Jessie's story of the odd kids, and almost started to get a little angry with her. Of course they didn't exist. She made them up just to mess with me, and threw in another girl conveniently orphaned to drive home the scare. I shook my head and laughed, thinking about how gullible I'd been. Later, at dinner, I ate with the ferocity of an animal. I hadn't realized how hungry I'd become, alone in the woods all day, thinking, and the chicken my grandmother cooked was the most delicious thing I'd ever eaten. It was only on my third drumstick that I stopped long enough to ask them a question. "'Did you guys ever hear of anyone going missing in the woods?' I asked between bites. Interrupting the regular mealtime silence, they looked at one another quizzically, as if searching their collective memory. Nah, I don't think so, my grandmother eventually said. Don't ring any bells, her husband agreed. Why'd you ask? I shook my head, taking another bite, to buy myself some time to think of an answer. Just something I heard some kids talking about, I told them. Some jerks were trying to scare Jesse and me by saying a girl named Emma went missing. Suddenly, my grandmother's eyes lit up with recognition. You know, I didn't hear nothing about that, but I do recall that girl being terrified of those woods. She nodded thoughtfully over a spoonful of corn. Yeah, it was a couple of years back that the girl come tearing out of the woods like the devil himself was on her heels, screaming and crying. I didn't nose my way into it on account of her father asking people if they would leave his daughter alone, but I overheard that the girl went right for a couple of weeks, just sitting in her room and not talking to nobody. She clucked her tongue and took another bite of corn. Lord only knows what happened to that girl, but it shook her some fierce. I suddenly felt a sick terror in my stomach, like the feeling you get watching a recording of yourself only to see something terrifying looming just out of your sight, something you never knew was there. Did this mean the odd kids were real? Had they been watching me as I stepped into the creek? So you never found out what happened? I hesitantly asked, unsure I wanted to answer. Grandma just shook her head, and the three of us continued eating in silence. Grandpa brought up a baseball game he'd seen on TV earlier that day, and I feigned interest as well as I could, but I wasn't all there. My mind was back at the woods at the creek, inspecting every square inch of my memory for a sign of something else. Sleep didn't come easy that night, and when it did, it was wrought with nightmares. Thoughts of the odd kids crawled through my mind, bringing me back to the creek. Looking deeper into the woods, I saw dozens of pairs of eyes staring back at me, slowly bobbing back and forth, as though they were advancing towards me. My dream self was paralyzed, helpless to do anything but watch as the monsters came out of the shadows. The one Jesse had described with his head sagging to the side led the plodding advance. As a group, The odd kids crawled down into the creek, dragging broken limbs and torn flesh behind them, and each of them chittering off tempo with the others to create a horrible cacophony of noise that filled my ears and bore into my soul, staring into the hungry eyes of the limp headed leader as he reached out to drag me down. I awoke screaming. The noise still rang in my ears, and, coupled with my panic, caused me to flail against my blankets as though they were trying to engulf me. I fell under the floor with a hard thud finally coming to rest. My grandfather burst into the room and my grandmother was close behind him. Are you okay? he bellowed, still full of adrenaline even though he was beginning to realize there was no threat. Embarrassed, I kicked the sheets off of me and stood up. Yeah, just had a bad dream, I muttered. As I came to my senses, I realized the noise I had been hearing was the sound of cicadas filling the room, broadcasting their mating calls to the world. Laughing off their overzealous response, my grandparents led me downstairs to breakfast, which I accepted readily. That morning, I walked all the way to the woods without running into Jessie. I stood at the edge of the path, looking back down the road, trying to make out her figure, but nobody was there. Sighing. I walked all the way back to my house and down to the woods again. There was no sign of her. My adolescent mind filled once more with nightmarish imagery, but I did my best to stay grounded in reality. She was the last person who would have gone across the creek. And if the odd kids ever ventured out of the woods, surely people around town would talk about them, right? Armed with these rationalizations, I decided to head to our favorite clearing and wait for her. She wasn't there when I arrived. Part of me had expected her to be waiting in the grass, ready to laugh in my face when she learned how I'd walked up and down the path two more times before thinking to check our spot. And as an hour slowly ticked by, I began to wonder if something bad really had happened to her. But if something had, what was I going to do about it? I had no idea where she lived she was the only kid I knew in the area. Almost unconsciously, I began to head towards the creek. I'd only promised I wouldn't cross it, after all, and if she was so concerned about my whereabouts, she would have let me know where she was going to be. Besides, if she had been able to outpace the odd kids when they were right beside her, I'd be able to get away long before they got close. My legs were filled with a giddy nervous energy as I began walking, sometimes at a quick pace and others at barely a shuffle. Once the creek itself was in view, I began to move from tree to tree, using them like cover from whatever might lurk on the other side of the creek. I inched closer, cautious to not disturb even a single twig in my approach. Finally, I was only a few yards from the near bank of the creek. I crouched down and quietly got to my hands and knees, Closing the last stretch on all fours and keeping a close watch on the trees ahead of me. I hissed out Jesse's name in a low voice, straining my ears into the woods to catch anything of interest, but nothing happened. It was just another ordinary day, and I was just some weird little boy whispering into the forest. I was just about to turn around when a brief flash of movement caught my eye. I hadn't noticed it before because I was scanning the ground, but turning my eyes up I saw, a silhouette of something I couldn't quite make out. It swayed gently in the breeze, as though it was suspended from the branches. The leaves broke up the distant form, which must have been several dozens of feet away, and I immediately forgot my promise to Jesse. I had to know what that thing was. Just as I was about to swing my legs down to the bank of the creek, a call startled me to my feet in the distance. What are you doing? Jessie was standing a ways behind me, clinging onto a tree as though she might fall without its support. Though her tone was one of anger, her face was ghost-white. She beckoned me towards her, clearly unwilling to go closer to the creek than she was. I twisted my body around, raising an arm to point at the thing I had seen in the treetops, but I couldn't relocate it. "I, I saw something, I said, scanning the leaves for the swaying form. And with any luck, it didn't see you. She hissed, stamping her foot in the dirt. I shook my head, my boyish curiosity trumping her obvious fear. Don't be such a scaredy cat, I said, crouching down to see if I could find the figure in the branches. Briefly, I wondered if it had moved, but that seemed impossible. Whatever it was, it wasn't animate. I'm going across. No! Jessie screamed, lunging towards me. I was already startled by a cry, and mid-turn she collided into me at full force, sending both of us tumbling down the bank and into the creek. We yelled and flailed as we fell, both of us landing on my back. The muddy water babbled over us and I scooted away, pulling myself onto the far bank of the creek. Jesse followed, more out of a desire to get out of the water than anything. Nice going, I said sarcastically. The water was actually a little refreshing in the summertime heat, but we knew that before long we'd be drowning in humidity, our damp clothes suffocating what little comfort sweating brought. I crawled up onto the opposite side of the creek, once again raising my eyes to the branches to find what I'd seen. Please, please, can we go? Jessie was at my side, clutching my arm, despite the fact that I was a good half-foot shorter than she was. "'We really need to go. Please.' "'Come on, just a little bit further.' Wonder and excitement had overtaken all other emotions in my mind. Before, when the creek was just a memory, it was easy to picture a world of monsters looking just across the way. Now that I was here in the light of day, I felt empowered. I could see that there weren't monsters, so obviously I was safe. I'm lucky to be alive.' Tugging Jesse forward, I walked to the spot where I had seen the thing hanging from the trees, but now it was nowhere to be found. From where I was standing, I could still make out the creek, and I tried to imagine myself, crouched low on the other side, looking up into the branches. The wind blew lazily through the leaves, shaking them this way and that, but nothing unnatural hung from the canopy. I saw something right here, I said aloud, justifying my persistence to Jesse. I did feel bad for dragging her somewhere she obviously didn't want to be, and I thought if I had something to show for it, maybe she would have understood. Instead, here I was, staring up into the trees like an idiot with a terrified girl clinging to my side. Her eyes darted back and forth across the tree line, as if waiting for something to suddenly appear and attack us. Unwilling to leave empty-handed, I coaxed us slowly forward. As we pressed on, the woods around us seemed get quieter, as if we were entering some sort of dead zone in the forest, a place where even the birds and critters refused to go. Jessie's nails dug into my arm, but she stayed right by my side, no longer making any noise except a small whimper with every exhalation. After another five or ten minutes of walking, we came across a rocky outcropping jutting out of the ground and a small hole leading down. Intrigued as I was by the promise of more adventure, Something else caught our attention. A strange doll, laid, propped up against the mouth of the cave, facing us. Its elongated forehead drooped slightly over its face, making the upper right side of its head concave. Its eyes were small and beady and black, shining in the midday sun, and tufts of hair had been placed onto its scalp in a disorganized manner. It was garbed only in small denim overalls, covering grungy cloth skin. Before I could even draw breath to comment on it, Jessie was fiercely tugging me away. "'That's it! That's one of them!' She was practically screaming raw terror coming through in her voice, but her reaction was scaring me more than the object itself. "'That was an odd kid! An oversized doll!' "'Calm down!' I said, tucking back against her. "'It can't be. Look at it. It's not breathing. It's just a doll!' Wrenching my arm out of her grip, Jessie fell face first into the dirt, but was on her feet a second later. I heard her starting to run and turned to tell her that she didn't have to get any closer if she was scared, that I would go examine it alone. As I stared in her direction, however, my voice caught in my throat. Standing where Jessie and I had been not twenty seconds ago was another doll, only this one was different. It was cleaner and more well-made as if whoever made the one by the cave had learned from their mistakes. This girl doll was standing beside a tree, watching us with those same all-black eyes, short brown hair matted with dirt, and clumped to her head haphazardly. The tattered red dress clung desperately to her red shoulder, and beneath it the cloth skin looked much cleaner than the others, much more real. Before I could say a word, Jessie broke the silence. I expected her to shriek, but instead what came out of her mouth was barely a whisper. Emma? The girl doll took a step forward and my terror levels shot up to their limits. I glanced backwards to see the other doll was pulling itself to its feet, awkwardly shambling towards us. Any doubt I had in Jessie's story evaporated in an instant. The odd kids were real, and they were right in front of me. Without another moment's hesitation, I grabbed Jessie's wrist, suddenly becoming the one desperate to get us out. Come on, come on, let's go! I yelled at her, but she didn't even seem to hear me. She instead began to walk towards the girl doll, towards Emma, I guessed, though I couldn't see how that could ever have been Jessie's friend. I kept pulling at her arm, even as the thing behind her got closer. Jessie was foking exclusively on the other girl, blocking out the whole rust of the world. The doll reached out to Jessie, and she raised her own hand out as well. "'Jess!' I began to say. But I was interrupted by a heavy object falling directly onto my best friend, sending her crumpling into the dirt. On top of her was a small, human-like figure with the head and hands proportionally much smaller than they should have been. Finally, observing one close up, I realized their skin wasn't just dirty cloth. It was rotten, mottled flesh. I scrambled backwards as the little creature gripped Jessie by the hair, tugging her head up painfully. Jessie screamed and crawled at the ground, trying to shove the thing off of her. But the creature she'd called Emma sagged to its knees, "'clamped a hand over her mouth, then turned its head to look at me. "'Energy surged to my legs, and I shot upright. "'I was in full panic mode, operating on a primal instinct to flee. "'But just as I started to run, I collided into a solid force "'that knocked me back down to the ground. "'Another one of those things stood before me, "'his head flopping awkwardly to the left, just as Jesse had demonstrated. "'The one I had seen slump by the cave came into my view, holding a large rock in its hands. Before I could roll out of the way, the weight came down on my head, sending a splitting pain through my skull. My vision went white, and a deafening ringing filled my ears, but I stayed conscious throughout. I could faintly feel things tugging at me, pulling me across the ground as I struggled just to regain my senses. The blinding white slowly faded to an impenetrable black, and the ringing dulled to formless shuffling, and the odd kids' strange chitters echoing off the walls of the cave. I did my best to stay limp as I was dragged across the rough stone, tearing into my shirt and cutting my flesh. I'm certain I whimpered in pain, but the odd kids didn't react to it, hauling me further into their lair. Eventually, the motion came to an end. I was propped up against a rough stone wall, and even in the darkness I could tell that one of them was just in front of my face, quietly muttering to itself in those strange, arrhythmic noises. Its coarse fingers grabbed my hands and began stretching at strong, thin fabric around my wrist, binding them together. It wrapped for what felt like ages until it finally seemed satisfied that my hands weren't going anywhere, then moved on to my ankles to do the same. Once that was done, the thing shuffled away, the noise of its movements getting gradually fainter, before disappearing altogether meaning to breathe a sigh of relief, and instead let out a choked sob, finally letting myself express the terror I'd felt through the whole ordeal. I'm not ashamed to admit that I sat in the cave and cried, certain I'd never see my parents or grandparents ever again. Only when I heard more movement coming my way did I make any effort to quiet myself. I did my best to control my breathing, sucking in breaths through shuddering gasps and letting them out slowly through my nose. I tried to picture what noises were. Slowly. I put together that someone else was being dragged down the same rough path I had been. They were bringing Jesse back here, too. For a brief moment, I felt hope. As selfish as it is to admit, at the very least, I took comfort in knowing I wouldn't have to suffer alone. Part of me even entertained the notion that perhaps together Jesse and I could escape this cave and never, ever come back to these awful woods again. Of course, the reality of this plan had many obstacles. The cave was utterly dark, something that didn't seem to affect the odd kids one bit. For all I knew, there was one sitting in the room with me, silently watching and waiting for me to make a move, so it could pounce on me again and finish the job. On top of that, they easily outnumbered us. The odds were stacked against us in every conceivable way. Jessie noisily entered the room in which I was kept, and her muffled screaming gave me a sense of the dimensions of the room. It seemed smaller than I expected. Likely only a little bigger than my own bedroom. Still, it was plenty big for storing the two of us. Just as I was wondering if they would leave Jessie and me alone together, the room was filled with a soft blue luminescence. One of the odd kids, I couldn't tell which with their back turned to me, was brushing their fingers against a strange kind of moss on the far wall, and the agitation sparked a chain reaction across the entire plant. Tendrils of blue light arced over the wall in a brilliant pattern, the illumination branching off itself like a snowflake before finally filling in, covering the wall in the most beautiful display I'd ever seen. And there, in front of the glowing moss, was Jesse. She'd been laid out on an obviously man-made dirt platform, and her struggles stilled as puffs of spores from the glowing moss fell onto her. The odd kid stood over her, observing for a moment before bending forward over her. In my life, I had never heard the sound of flesh tearing, but the very first time was unmistakable. I jerked at the noise, as if it had been my own skin and my heart beat so fast I worried that it would give me away. I screwed my eyes shut and just listened. As the odd kid did, God knows what to my helpless friend, only a few feet away from my face. Mustering up what courage I could, I began to work the bonds around my wrist against the jagged rock, working just slow enough to not make too much noise. The ripping noise soon gave way to gurgles and wet squishing, but I didn't allow myself to picture it. Instead, I thought about my grandparents, about seeing their warm smiles one more time. I thought about the airplane that would take me out of Mississippi, and I thought of every excuse I could ever use for the rest of my life to keep me from getting on another plane back. I had to survive this. I had to. Sure enough, the ropes came free with enough effort. Once they were weak enough, I managed to pull them apart with brute strength, the fibers tearing away from each other with a soft sound, something that was almost pleasing contrasted against the disturbing noises coming across from the room. I groped around in the near dark, my fingers moving from rock to rock until I found something loose enough and big enough that I felt comfortable with it. I now stared directly at the odd kid, its back still turned as it performed its macabre ritual on my friend. Sawing the rock across the ropes around my ankles, I worked my nerve up to what I was going to have to do next. Armed with a rock, I was going to attack the odd kid, knocking them out with one good blow. Fair play, I thought to myself. Next, I would grab Jessie and hoist her over my shoulder. She was taller than me, sure, but I wasn't a weak kid. After that, we would sneak out of the cave somehow, then sprint back to my grandparents' house and be safe. The wraps across my ankles fell away, and I slowly stretched my legs out before getting them underneath me. The odd kid was still oblivious to me, and part of me hated that. Here I was, about to bash in its skull with a rock, and it didn't even consider me enough of a threat to turn around and check on me. "'Hey!' I whispered. The rock clutched tight in my fist as I held it out to the side behind my head. The odd kid finally swiveled around, and I stared into its soulless black eyes one last time before bringing the weapon across. The sensation was nothing like I expected. Instead of a solid blow and a resonating crack, my hand squelched through its blushy skin with little resistance. I stood there, stunned and staring into its remaining eye as its face hung loosely around my wrist. Soft scratches made their way across my hand, and I jerked it back, the force of my fist pulling out of its head, tearing another gouge through the skin that was not skin. Looking down at my hand, I saw the single most horrific thing I have ever seen in my life. Instead of brains, blood and gore covering my hand, there were bugs. Centipedes, spiders, ants and more, too numerous to count, swarmed over my skin. The bag of flesh before me slumped to its knees before kneeling over, its occupant surging out of the hole in its neck. I lost it. I screamed at the top of my lungs and beat my arm against the wall of the cave "'schluffing off the vermin in sheets. "'Through the chaos, I called out Jessie's name, "'forgetting at the time that I had already expected her to be unconscious at best. "'Her head tilted to the side, "'and she raised herself up on her elbows, staring at me. "'My heart swelled, thinking for a moment that, if nothing else, "'at least we would get out of this alive. "'When the azure glow of the moss reflected off at of Jessie's all-black eyes, "'I ran. "'Through the darkness, I ran heedless of the frantic chittering that echoed off the stone all around me. I ran into every single twist and turn in those tight tunnels, still struggling to scrape off all the bugs off my arm. With every passing moment, I expected to feel the odd kid's hands wrapped around my legs, drag me back to that room and do to me what they'd done to Jesse, turn me into one of them. Finally, I saw a thin shaft of light at the end of the darkness, I scrambled out of the cave and into the open woods, the full moon giving me plenty of illumination to find my way. Through the entire sprint, I tore at the flesh of my arm with my fingernails, scraping off the remnants of the odd kid as they wriggled and crawled across me. The entire run is mostly a blur now. I didn't stop once, didn't even peek behind me for fear of seeing those things one more time. When I burst into my grandparents' house, the two of them were both awake, sitting up in the living room waiting for me. I must have told a tale with a single look because their stern expressions melted upon seeing my eyes and they stayed up with me the rest of the night. Sitting on the couch, wrapped in a blanket, I just stared out the window at the dusty road that led from the house, praying that I wouldn't see Jesse walking down it. The next day, after I'd slept and eaten, my grandparents tried to coax out of me what happened. I didn't know what to tell them. Eventually, I told them I'd just fallen asleep in the woods and had a nightmare, freaked myself out, and ran home crying. They hugged me and laughed gently, and my grandpa said, I should call ahead next time I'm going to worry them half to death. I smiled, and Jesse's face appeared in my mind's eye. I didn't let myself be alone for the rest of the vacation. This meant staying indoors, for the most part, something I was more than fine with. When word got out that Jesse hadn't been home in a few days and people started searching, my grandparents asked me if I knew anything about it. I wanted to tell them about the odd kids. I should have said something. I know that now. But like the scared child I was, I just said I didn't, and they left it at that. Three weeks later, I got on a plane and went home. And for the first time since the cave, I felt like I could breathe again. I no longer had the threat of the odd kids looming over me just waiting for a moment's lapse in the readiness so they could pounce. I'd like to say that I don't know what happened to Jessie, that her fate remains a mystery, but that would be the coward's way out. Jessie died because of me, because of my hubris, my curiosity, and my stupid thirst for adventure. Jessie lost her life. This was something I think about every day, even some thirty years later, and it hurts just as much as the very first time I realized it. Thousands of miles and a couple of decades now lay between me and the worst summer of my life. But it isn't perspective that's prompted me to finally write out my tale. My daughter Maggie has been getting excited about collecting bugs, and as uneasy as it may make me, I'm not the kind to stop her. What really unsettles me about it is how her bugs act. Every time she brings me one of their little jars, the bug inside watches me. I know how crazy this sounds. I know bugs don't see like you and I, but it's like they want me to know that they know I'm there. I went into my daughter's room a few days ago when she was out at school and picked up her ant farm to see what would happen. I expected them to freeze, to turn and look at me, but instead they went into a frenzy. Every last ant swarmed the side of the container, crawling over each other and climbing against the plastic that separated them and my right hand. The hand the bugs were on for minutes as I stumbled blindly through that cave, frantically clawing them off. I watched, horrified, as the ants literally tore each other apart to be the one closest to my hand. What did the odd kids do to me?
4: What did the odd kids do to our storyteller, you may ask? Well, you will have to learn an important lesson about our show. There are some mysteries you don't want to solve. Following a short break, we will meet someone whose greatest mistake in life will be to try and
3: be just like one of the girls. Thank you, GM. This is executive producer of the Simply Scary Podcast, Jesse Cornett, with a message from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Put your listening ears on, folks.
1: Your votes have narrowed more than 115 contestants down to only six.
4: Did I mean to pull the trigger? I honestly don't know. It all happened in an instant.
1: This Halloween? you will choose who wins becoming our first ever evil idol receiving our grand prize a coveted position as a permanent member of the chilling tales for dark nights voice acting team as well as a top of the line studio recording package
4: i hear a noise at the door as of some immense slippery body lumbering against it.
1: Come to our YouTube channel for a special two-hour free livestream event starting at 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 p.m. Eastern on Monday, October 31st, Halloween night.
3: I found her at the gates to the cemetery. Karen saw me and tried to squeeze through the gates.
1: You'll hear our six best contestants perform 12 of the scariest stories Chilling Tales has to offer, with contestants each selecting their own weapon Uh, That is stories of their choice. She had done this to me. Her eyes remained wide and her laugh sounded toxic even as her body rotted away. Three rounds of real-time voting through SNS texting, where for no charge, your voice will be heard, and just one winner will become our newest star, the very first ever evil idol.
2: Or can the big bad carnivore not do it?
5: Different, When it's an animal you knew personally, huh?
1: Mark your calendars now to attend Chilling Tales for Dark Nights annual Halloween livestream event. Monday, October 31st, beginning at 9pm Central Time, 10pm Eastern, only at our YouTube channel. Forget scary movies, forget trick-or-treating, costume parties, and pumpkin carving. If you want true horror, there's only one place to be on all scenes. So tell your friends you have better plans. Curl up with a cold drink and a sack of candy, and join us for the final rounds of our first ever voice acting competition. Monday, October 31st, as we turn off the lights and turn on the dark, and find out which of our idols is the evilest of all.
3: Man, that is going to be great. Every one of you guys join us on October 31st here on YouTube for the live stream event. We're now back to the show.
4: And now for our next haunting tale. Charlotte would do anything to stick with her group of friends, the Unbreakable Six a number that is representative of the five friends, and Emma. But was their teasing about the mysterious sixth member a cruel joke gone too far, or is there something much more frightening at work? Without further ado, Alicia Pavlis performs Her Name Was Emma by author S. C. Young.
5: Her name was Emma. That's what everyone called her anyways. Sometimes they would call her Em. Sometimes someone would slip up and call her Emily. She was a part of our group of girlfriends growing up in a large town, not quite big enough to be a city, but big enough that there was still privacy between neighbors. We called ourselves the Unbreakable Six because there was me, Summer, Mel, Mel, Nina and Jules and there was Emma Emma started off as a practical joke by the other girls in the fourth grade it was probably Jules that started it she was always playing pranks on people in high school she even got suspended once for going too far and she had to babysit for hours to buy that girl a new cell phone or maybe it was summer who always seemed too busy with music and band to think of such an elaborate prank Or maybe it was Melanina, who were best friends and could have lived without us, always conspiring together like they were twin sisters. Either way, I bought my lunch, cold-cut sandwich and carrot sticks and a pint of orange juice. I couldn't stand milk. It would account for how short I ended up being. And I walked over to our table. Jules looked excited, waving me over to them. Lottie, look! I wasn't sure where I was supposed to be looking. This is Emma. She moved here from Los Angeles. We lived far inland and into the boonies. Los Angeles was glitzy and glamorous and chic. Compared to the flat houses and half-rate high school football, that was the only real source of entertainment in our area. Uh, what? Los Angeles, dummy, Jules said, rolling her eyes. She's not in our class. She's in Miss Lark's. But she's in the same grade as us. Isn't that cool? I still wasn't sure where I was supposed to be looking. I sat down with my tray uneasily, wondering what I was supposed to see. Uh, who? Summer jabbed me in the side. You're being rude, she hissed quietly. Summer was all about rules and manners. Say hi to Emma. I looked around our table, from Jules to Mel, To Nina, to Summer, and back to Jules, who was waiting impatiently. I don't know, I I was weak. I wanted to fit in. I didn't get it. Hi, Emma. They seemed to breathe a collective sigh of relief, like I was making everything awkward. Charlotte's weird sometimes, but her brother has a Nintendo, and he lets us play once in a while. They kept on talking, chatting about whatever 4th grade girls chat about, and I ignored it. If they wanted to play that prank, that was fine. I wasn't going to buy into it. I was always a precocious child. I knew what they were looking for was a reaction. That's how Emma became a normal part of our lives. It was crazy. We would buy her birthday presents, and they'd disappear like they were taken. I wonder how many candle-making kits and Mancala games Jules had piling up in her closet after all these birthdays. One year, Mel even got Emma a really nice necklace, and that disappeared too. We never went to Emma's house. I asked Nina about it when I was sure that Emma wasn't there. She gave me this scandalized look. Lottie, don't be rude. Emma's family doesn't have that much money. She's embarrassed to let us come over. She told Mel that, and Mel told me. And it makes sense. I mean, look at what she wears all the time. I mean, we still love her. We'll always love her. She's one of us. But don't rub in the fact that we can't go to her house. That's mean. After I was scolded so wholeheartedly by Nina, I didn't ask again. They were covering their bases really well. And by seventh grade, I had to accept that they were taking this prank all the way. It was weirdly comforting in a way. There was this silent friend that I never saw, but she was always around. We would leave seats open for Emma, and when we practiced the buddy system, someone always had her. On many occasions, I watched as my friends, allegedly partnered with Emma, walked into a bathroom by themselves. When we decided that we wanted to be lame and come up with a name for our group of friends we decided on the unbreakable six, even though there were really only five of us. I was curious in sophomore year of high school when we were having a sleepover. Summer was at band practice until late in the day, and Emma couldn't make it, as she had to work on her science project, according to Mel. So I asked Jules, the likely mastermind behind the entire hoax, if you were going to write a story about Emma, like her biography, how would you describe her? Down to every detail. Jules loved stuff like that. She wanted to be a writer someday. Well, she's taller than you, which isn't hard. I threw a pillow at her. and <laughs> She dodged deftly. She's got a medium build. Jules dropped her voice to a whisper. Even though she gained a little weight recently? But we're not going to tell her. And she's still beautiful. And she has green eyes and brown hair. And she's got freckles. She hates getting her picture taken. She's nice, but quiet. And she dances really beautifully. I mean, you've seen her, right? I thought back to the time a few months ago when we turned on some music and danced around together to practice dancing for homecoming. So that we wouldn't look weird or do it wrong when the time came. We stopped after a while and oohed and aahed at empty space after that point i didn't ask any more questions by then i'd realized my friends intended to keep up the charade for as long as they could manage and there was no use fighting it it was in our senior year of high school that it happened i don't know why it set me off not really it was something little something stupid we were hanging out in nina's pool even though it was still too cold to swim Teeth chattering and goosebumps rising in our skin. We were waiting for the nearby jacuzzi to heat up to jump in. The cold sunlight cast a long shadow, and the wine coolers we'd snuck earlier were making that shadow seem menacing. It annoyed me for reasons I couldn't quite place. "'Look at Emma, Lottie!' Jules called. She wolf-whistled and hooted, over the top, like Jules always was. "'Hot mama, look at that booty!' I didn't know where to look, like always, like for the past nine years of my life. I didn't know where to look. Since the fourth grade at our lunch table, dancing in summer's living room, homecoming, football games, at the park, in class, anywhere, I didn't know where to look because Emma wasn't there. That's when I finally snapped. To hell with Emma, I screamed. And to hell with all of you. Have you been waiting for this, the moment I completely lose my mind? Well, here it is. I waved my arms around, manic and furious. Emma isn't real. Emma isn't real. I looked at their confused faces. Oh, you're going to keep this up? Well, you know what? I hate you guys. You've always done this. Making me the butt of your stupid prank for almost ten years, guys. Ten years. I slipped a little on the wet concrete but regained my balance. Screw you! I hate you so much! Tears welled up in my eyes as years and years of pent-up frustration finally spilled over. Emma was some stupid prank that got out of hand, and I can't believe that none of you ever had the balls to tell me that it was a stupid prank. No, it had to keep going, and you had to keep laughing behind my back. It's not fair! Summer was furious. Lottie, don't you dare be this way. Emma is right there and you're being a bitch. Why are you doing this? Are you mad? Mel spoke up in a tiny voice. Lottie, you look hot too. I mean, you look good in your bathing suit too. Yeah, but God, don't take out your anger on Emma, Nina said, rolling her eyes. Nina walked over to the side of the pool and reached out a hand like she was rubbing someone's back. It's okay, Emma. Lottie's just under a lot of stress right now, figuring out where she wants to go for college. Shut up! I howled miserably. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Emma isn't real! She's not there! How could you guys do this to me? They were starting to look scared. I could see they were really invested in the prank i wondered what the end game was when were they going to start laughing when were they going to jump up and say gotcha i had enough of it if they wanted to play charades then i'd play charades the next part was a blur i don't remember most of it not even now but i do know that i walked over to where emma was and i kicked at the air Hard, really hard. Then I heard a scream, and I slipped on the slick, wet concrete and hit my head. There was blood everywhere. There was so much screaming, but I kept on kicking and punching and fighting until I blacked out completely. I came to a day later in the hospital. My parents were there, and so were my friends. They were pale and tired and looked miserable. My heart panged. I must have really scared them. When my parents left, Jules approached me. She took my hand and began crying. The others started crying too. I'm sorry, Lottie, she wept. I'm really sorry. It was almost frightening. Looking at the way my friends were, they were beside themselves in the privacy of the hospital room. I started crying too. I wasn't sure why, but... I started stammering apologies, too, as if by saying we were sorry things could go back to being the way they were. I'm sorry, I cried. Summer was the only one who didn't look like she had forgiven me completely. She looked at me, eyes red and cheeks pink, and wobbly chinned and said, Are you? I didn't have to answer. The nurse came in to change the bandages on my head. For the rest of the year... No one mentioned Emma. Emma only belonged to our tight-knit group of friends, so there was no mention of Emma. One time, a cop came to the principal's office and Mel and Nina were quick to drag us away. After the accident, I withdrew from everyone. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't go to Summer's recital. I didn't go to Mel's birthday. I didn't do anything. I didn't go to prom. I stayed home and just stared at the ceiling, wondering what had happened. Emma was in most of my life, and now she felt like a ghost. I graduated high school and left immediately to go to a university far away in Southern California, where the weather was always perfect and the beach was a five-minute walk away. I started to recover. I realized that I was depressed after what had happened, understanding that my best friends chose a punchline over me, Unbreakable Six. Yeah, right. I got good grades, volunteered at an animal shelter, and found a boyfriend. He was so nice to me. Even when I got quiet when he asked about high school, he never pushed. He just held me when I had bad days and made me pancakes. It was four years later when I was about to finish up college when I ran into an old classmate from high school in my apartment complex, no less. Her name was Annie, and it turned out she had been living there the whole time and we didn't know. In high school, She hung out with a different crowd than me and my friends. Most people did. The six, rather, the five of us, were a clique of our own, separated from everyone else. I wasn't necessarily friends with Annie in high school, but still, we overreacted the way everyone does when they see someone they haven't seen in a long time. It's been forever! Oh my god! I went to Annie's apartment for coffee and saw that she was packing up her things. Moving back home for a while until I find a job, yuck, I saw a thick book on the sofa. Oh yeah, that's our senior yearbook. I was flipping through it after I found it on my bookshelf. I didn't bother getting a yearbook. I didn't have friends at the end of the high school, but I was curious to see what I looked like back then, if I had gained or lost weight, if my skin had gotten any better. I opened up the first page and was instantly confused. For Emma... I read aloud from the first page. It was a dedication. My mind raced. Was there someone named Emma in our year? Yeah, it's really sad what happened to her, Annie said, handing me a mug of hot coffee. I flipped through the yearbook, looking for any trace of Emma. Then, I found it. My heart stopped, and I felt my mouth go dry. My hands shook as I held the yearbook, looking at the photograph. It was a picture of the Unbreakable Six. We stood with our arms slung around hips and shoulders, sticking close together for the photograph. There was Summer at the end, then me, then Jules, then Mel, then Nina, then... I had never seen this girl before in my life. Never But there she was. I can't even remember getting the picture taken. But she was right there at the end. Green eyes, brown hair, muffin top, shy smile, threadbare shirt and ripped jeans, looking straight at the camera like the rest of us. She looked as normal as can be, just another teenage girl. Annie looked over my shoulder. Oh, there you all are. What did you call yourselves again? What... what happened to her? I couldn't even touch her photograph. I could only stand there while my shaking finger hovered over her face. Annie fell quiet. Well, I guess you might not really remember that well, after your head injury, and you kind of just faded away from everything, stopped doing much at all. But Emma disappeared, out of nowhere, the cops came by once to ask questions, but her parents were both poor junkies, so no one really cared. Just another girl that disappeared. I left Annie and went back to my apartment, the one I shared with my boyfriend. He took one look at my face and started boiling some hot water for tea and grabbed a blanket to throw over my shoulders. I pulled away from him and locked myself in my room. I stared at the ceiling. I was 18 again. Lost and confused. The girl's green eyes haunted me. Emma's eyes haunted me. I went on Facebook and found my old friends. My best friends. And I told them to please meet me back home. That it was very important. I returned back to our big town little city. Went to the newest Starbucks and waited. They trickled in one by one. Jules, small-time blogger who works at an Italian restaurant until she makes it big. Summer, brown and freckled from her time at band camp where she coaches kids for the field shows. Nina, the hot librarian at our former high school. Mel, her belly swollen with her second child, wedding rings secured to her left hand by her high school sweetheart. My friends were not the same. Neither was I. I cut to the chase. I couldn't spare a moment for small talk. "'What happened to Emma?' "'They exchanged uneasy glances. "'They knew this was coming. "'Nothing,' Jules said with finality. "'Emma wasn't real. "'She was just a trick,' Nina said softly. "'She was a prank. "'I figured they might pull that. "'I reached into my bag "'and slammed the yearbook down on the table, "'making our drinks rattle and one fall over, "'spilling tea onto the ground.' No one moved to try and pick it up. They stared at the yearbook instead. Emma was real, I finally whispered. Emma was real. What happened to her? Nothing. Cut the crap, Jules, Summer snapped. She turned to me. Lottie, you killed Emma that day by the pool. You went nuts and kicked her. You kept kicking her. Then you slipped and smashed your head. And you bashed her head and she fell in the pool, and it was too late to save her, and we had to worry about you and... Summer! Jules shrieked, swatting her in the arm. I was silent, absorbing what Summer had said. Mel spoke up in a tiny voice. Lottie, we weren't going to let you go to jail. I looked up at my friends, tears running down my cheeks. Why? Nina reached across the table and took my hand. She squeezed it, hard. Because we're the Unbreakable Six. We don't break because one went crazy and another's dead. I excused myself to the restroom and wept for what seemed like hours. It couldn't have been that long, but there were angry knocks on the door from other patrons who needed to use the bathroom. But I just sat there on the dirty floor, sobbing, until I had cried everything out. I came out where my friends, my best friends, were still waiting. I sat down in my seat and faced them. I want to turn myself in. There was an outcry of different responses. Summer seemed willing, ready to have me turn myself into the police. Jules yelled out about them all getting in trouble. Mel started to cry. You don't have to, Nina said. You don't have to, we got rid of all the evidence. We buried her far away where no one would find her. I want to turn myself in, I repeated firmly. I killed her. I'll tell the cops that it was me, that I buried her. Tell me where she is so I can tell them where I put her. None of you will get in any trouble. It wasn't your fault. I thought I had finished crying. I thought I had nothing left, but... I choked out what I wanted to say for so long. I never, I never saw her. They looked at me expectantly. I never saw her. Not even once. I thought, I thought it was just a big prank that you were playing on me and I, I didn't, I didn't want you to laugh at me. The girl in the yearbook, I, I have never seen her before. I just played along. Nina nodded. I thought it was weird that you were always so cold to her. Like, you didn't even acknowledge her. She really liked you, Mel said. She thought you were so smart, that you were going to go out into the world and do amazing things. She would always talk about that. I felt as though my heart would burst. I swear I never saw her. Something must be wrong with me, but I... I never saw her or heard her. I cleared my throat. Show me where you buried her. We got into Summer's car and drove out far into a park in a different city. The park was huge and overgrown, like no one had been there to take care of it in a long, long time. I got out of the car and noticed a rusty shovel lying nearby on the ground, which must have been left behind by a worker long ago. I took it with me. Jules led the way, deep into the park, deep through the trees, until we came to a small clearing. The dirt wasn't fresh, and there were no markers or indicators, but the way my friend's face is pale at the sight of the spot, I knew that was it. Emma was there, under our feet. I've got to see her, I whispered. I dug the shovel into the ground. I've got to see her. Mel didn't want to see anything, so she and Nina retreated to the car. Jules and Summer found different tools, a hoe and a rake, and we started digging. Blisters rose and popped on my hands from the old shovel, but I kept digging as beads of sweat rolled down my neck and back. The three of us worked together in silence, digging up our best friend. Suddenly, Summer jumped back in disgust, throwing her hoe aside. Jules did the same, stepping out of the hole. We looked down. Summer gagged, covering her mouth and nose. Jules shook her head at the sight. Me? I laughed and laughed and laughed. Tears streaming down my face. Laughing until it hurt. As I looked down (laughs) into an Empty grave.
4: For us, in the bowels of the chilling Tales Studios, our issue isn't so much failing to see the dead bodies everyone else does. In fact, it is quite the opposite, really. They have become somewhat hard to ignore, now that the odor has set in. After one final important message, we will fill you in on just what an exciting month October will be for fans of Chilling Tales.
3: Hello, this is Jesse Cornett. I'm executive producer of this podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. I wanted to inform you of the sponsorship opportunities available on our broadcast. Go to simplyscarypodcast.com and click on Advertise at the top of the page to find out more information. Or... Go to the new ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com webpage and look to the left. Click Contact Us and choose Advertising and Marketing Inquiries to have your message sent to our marketing team. We can collaborate with you to find the best marketing strategy to put your product, business, service, or media project in front of our audience. For a free consultation, contact us today about advertising with Chilling Entertainment. And now back to the show.
4: We have come to the end of our journey, children of the dark night. But let me inform you of some upcoming chilling tales events. Join us for the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Halloween live stream event that will feature the unveiling of the Evil Idol contest winner, plus live readings of some of this Halloween's most frightening stories. Monday, October 31st at 9pm Central, 8pm Eastern. Also, Chilling Tales is developing a pilot series to expand our show into animation. Follow the development of this exciting project on our social media platforms, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Facebook and on Twitter at ChillingTalesWI. If you wish to assist Chilling Tales in creating more quality audio productions, and would like to access our past productions in the highest quality possible, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com slash plans slash patrons and for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to them all at 320, yes, 320 kbps. Plus some goodies never released to the general public before, including isolated music tracks and even some short films. Every subscription helps us to scare you. And finally, if you have enjoyed our show, The Simply Scary Podcast, we'd like to remind you to stop by our iTunes page and leave a comment with five stars. This will get the new podcast off to a great start and warm our black little hearts to their very hellish cores. Just search for Simply Scary on iTunes. I am your host, G.M. Danielson, reminding you that at Chilling Tales, we don't mind digging deep to find heart-stopping mysteries, no matter how deep they are buried. And remember, there is nothing simple about scary, unless, of course, it is the Simply Scary Podcast.
3: This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written by Jesse Cornett and Dustin Koski, and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the Patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC 2016. Thanks for listening.